Well, yesterday, I got back at about 11 last night because we got to celebrate my granddaughter's one-year birthday. It was super, it was crazy. You guys, there is icing that I'm probably never going to find. It's that girl, uh, she knows how to party. She's one, she knows how to party. Uh, she was all in, and it was such a sweet time, you know, of, of being with family and having an opportunity to uh, just pull my little Kennedy off to the side and pray for her, and I bring that up because over in Prior Lake today are some baby dedications, actually two, and you know, we say child or baby dedication, and really, uh, it's more than that. It's, our, it's the family, and it's also the church. Because we believe that God wants to use the church body in the development of people in their discipleship process. And what a beautiful thing when families come together and say, I want to do everything I can to lead my child to the Lord. Though I'm imperfect, God is good. Though our church, we're imperfect, God is good. And so what a great opportunity that we have to come together and, and celebrate the fact that there are families that in the dark culture, they're saying, we want the light of Christ to shine uh, in our kid, through our kid, around our kid, because of our kids sometimes, the G Jesus in them. And so this is a, a wonderful time for us as a church. Additionally, we respond in faith, right? Like we we get the opportunity to serve these young ones. And uh, I'm going to highlight just a couple of thoughts I had in the first service before we get into the dedication. One, if there are any babies in this room, welcome. Uh, we believe that God has you as a part of the body of Christ, even now. Like, there's a reason that God invented microphones and I am louder than any baby can be. I promise, I promise. And if we need to stop church and let a baby kind of, you know, work through the process or whatever, that's great. We'll do that, right? Yeah. Uh, my wife, we had seven kids together, right? So that's great. Um, but I remember her talking about like, Anytime my kid fidgets, anytime they cough or whatever, I am constantly aware of the people around me. I feel like I'm bothering them. Uh, moms and dads, they don't bother us. We love that those kids are here, right? Is that true? Amen. And if you need to get up, okay, you can. There's a back area here you can go to. We have a family room if you need to go there. That, that is, you are welcome to do what you need to do, and we celebrate that. Because oh, we want them to hear the gospel of Christ, and we want to help love them to the Lord. And this is, body life is all a part of that. So, friends, if a kid is a little agitated, if they cry, we're not, we're not even going to like, look at you in a judgy way. I promise. And, and if we do, come talk to me. God bless you. All right. Well, let's look at Derek and Jenna Braun. Uh, little Jack Kennedy. Look at that kid. Uh, he is happy. He's, he's going at it. Uh, every family, by the way, has a, a passage that they, that they are praying over their child, that they say, hey, as, as, as we... Uh, have this child in our home, as we've been praying for this child, this is a passage that means something to us 
for this child specifically. So James 1.12 is theirs. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And we want little Jack to love him with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind and strength. And so, we're, friends, we're going to do all we can to help this family love the Lord and walk therein. My wife, Cindy, she likes to work in the nursery, and one of her favorite phrases is, change a diaper, change the world. I, uh, so far, so good, Cindy. All right. Adam and Megan Krishbaum, truly brave. I love that name. Like, this little kid, uh, she's going to grow into it. But when you hear this verse, you're going to catch on to the name. Psalm 62.2, truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. Amen. We pray for little truly brave that she will know the Lord and walk in him. Well, friends, let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we love you, and we thank you. We ask that you would be exalted and lifted up, that you would be glorified and honored in the things that we do and the things that we say. <coughs> we ask today, Lord, that um, for little Jack and little Truly, that they would know you, that, Lord, you would do a work in them even now, that their hearts would be calibrated to you in ways, in uncommon ways, that they wouldn't want to veer to the right or to the left, but that they would hunger and thirst for your righteousness, that at an early age they would find themselves exercising their faith and trust in you. And, Lord, I would pray for their families, that you would give them wisdom uh, beyond themselves to identify ways in which Jack and Truly can uh, know you and to follow you and to love you. Lord, we pray for uh, ways that our church family can serve you, that we would never be a stumbling block to these little ones, but that they would know you and walk in you. Lord, help us to be equippers that we could help these little ones to be equipped in the ways of the Lord at an early age. Again, for your good glory. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 It was so great. I, I shared that in the first service about microphone and all that, and there was a little girl. Uh, she's about one years old, and she was over on this side, and she just started hollering as if she was saying, Amen, Pastor, that's right. You know, it was, it was super cool. I love it. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to go there. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to raise your hand. One of our staff members can get you uh, a Bible today. If you don't have one, it's our gift to you. Uh, we want to make sure everyone has access to the words of God um, because it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and contains God's words to us. So, we love the word of God and want you to have access to it. We'll be in Mark chapter 13. And as you're turning there, I was, I was trying to think of a good illustration to, to kind of frame this up. I, I don't know if I found one, but I'm going to share it anyways. And that is this. When, when I was in college a long, long time ago, um, I was watching one of my buddies who was on the football team. He was on the uh, kickoff return team. And uh, sure enough, there was a kickoff. He's on the return team. He's, he's ready to go. He's, he's excited. It's like one of the first plays of the game. But we see somebody on the kickoff team, like as intense, 
pretty big dude, and he's just running. Like, you can see that there is laser focus on that football, and that's all he sees. You can, from the, from the stands, you could kind of feel the intensity of this guy running just with everything. Is, and he is maybe five yards ahead of the next guy on his team to get to the football. And his vision just got really narrow. Because what he didn't see uh, was my buddy who was the lead blocker. And as he took a step at just the right time, my buddy just lowered his shoulder. Boom! Modoc that guy. Like, he landed on his shoulders, feet up in the air. Bam! Why did that happen? Well, it happened because he, he didn't pay attention to the things around him. He was so laser focused on one thing that he missed the context of the things around him. And it, I mean, it, it could have hurt him worse than it did, but it was an awesome play, and I'm glad I was able to share that with you. <laughs> but I've been thinking about that, and the reality is that is true in our lives too. We, we can get so narrow focused that we miss the context of things around us and get blindsided and wounded by situations and things that occur. So be watchful. Pay attention. Keep your eyes alert. Don't go to sleep. Especially right now while I'm preaching. <laughs> Appreciate that. And I, I promise to do the same. How about that? All right. <laughs> um, as we get into this topic in Mark chapter 13, by the way, this is sometimes referred to as the little apocalypse. It, it, it doesn't mean that it's, it's little, like, oh, it's just little. Oh, it's so cute. It's just a little bitty. Nope. Doesn't mean that. It just means that it's in a chapter, right? It's a small portion. It's little in its size, the portion that is given to us. But I want to talk to us. I want to, again, continue to build this framework because it's really important. And that's this. When we start talking about end time stuff, it's really easy for people to go, and their focus become very narrow. Narrow in ways that aren't helpful. Actually, narrow in ways that, that you might miss the point. And, and so I want to caution you against that. For those of you who have your phones out or paper and a pen, I want to encourage you to write down a date. The date is March 9th here in Shakopee from 9 a.m. to noon. We've asked Pastor Mike Golay to share with us about end-time prophecy. Now, one of the things I appreciate about Mike and about Behold Israel is that uh, though they're able to talk about end-time things, they keep the main thing the main thing. You want to know what that is? Jesus. Sometimes we start talking about end-time things, and, and we forget the point, right? Like the, the point is Jesus. In fact, Revelation, the, the biggest section of New Testament apocalyptic literature, <laughs> is named Revelation. It's the unveiling. When we read Revelation, what does it say? The unveiling of Jesus Christ. We, we get to see Jesus for who he is in ways that we haven't seen before. In fact, is sometimes that apocalyptic literature, one of the beautiful things that it does is it lets us know in sometimes uh, hyperbolic ways, sometimes with fanciful language, sometimes very specific language, and it's all mixed together, but it lets us know like there, there is destruction, there's bad things that occur, and there is a God who not only judges, but also a God who rescues. Uh, you, you think the apocalypse is bad? 
eternity in hell, that is way worse. And that is what we want rescued from ultimately, right? Like Jesus is the one who rescues us. And this apocalyptic literature can help us to better understand our walk with him as we focus on him, not these other things. So I share all of that to say this. We're doing a series, Blessed is He Who Comes in the Name of the Lord. Jesus is that person. Throughout this whole series, what have we been trying to convey, or what has Jesus been trying to convey, seemingly? It's stop looking at the world and look up to God. He has a plan in this. Stop looking at the world, look up to God. This last week, it is the message that he keeps uh, drilling down on in a variety of ways. You're focused on the things of this world. Let me turn your attention. And we see it again in this passage. If we're not careful, we can lock in on a section of scripture on things and stuff. They're, They're not bad. They're in the word of God. They're there for a reason, right? But we might miss the whole point, being Christ, the rescuer, the redeemer, the savior. Let's jump in to Mark chapter 13, and we're just going to walk it a section at a time uh, and, and see, where we, uh, see where we end. Let's jump in. Mark chapter 13. By the way, One of the things that's important for us to understand, there is within prophetic literature and certainly apocalyptic literature, there is an initial fulfillment and there is an ultimate fulfillment. So think of it in two ways. So there's an initial fulfillment where it happens really close, like after the fact, within often a generation or less. And that is in part to show those, those that are experiencing it, this is, what, this is a type of the ultimate fulfillment. God did it this way, it's going to be a type of the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. We see that throughout scriptures. It's also one of the problems that we have in understanding scripture, because oftentimes people will read these passages, and this one in particular, where it it appears that, ah, you know, by 70 AD, a lot of this stuff has happened. It, maybe, maybe, it was all, maybe it's all happened and this is just good literature to read. But I would suggest to you that much of what happens does happen in 70 AD, but also it's going to ultimately be fulfilled in Christ in those last days. And so we want to make sure we have eyes to see and that the eyes that we're seeing with are focused on Jesus We see him. We're not distracted with the other things. Let's jump in. Uh, We'll look at this first eight verses. And in these first eight verses, uh, I I hope that you see some of the signs and the, the understandings of these signs. We'll jump in. And as he came out of the temple, this is Jesus, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, What wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings, right? He's talking about the temple. The temple is a beautiful compound, and especially in relationship to those who lived in those days. Like, a lot of their housing would be kind of like a a cob substance. You know, it's like a little bit of water, some hay, and dirt or sand. And and that's how they're building their bricks, right? Like, their homes are pretty simple in these days. And they're looking at this magnificent edifice, One of the great wonders of the ancient world. And also, they're speaking to Jesus, who is the one who has been 
uh, who has been crowned king, right? Like he's the king of Israel. They know that. They're excited about this. This temple, this is going to be something in your kingdom, isn't it, Jesus? And almost like his response in this, Jesus' response in this is, is, is kind of uh, surprising. Not just the words that he uses, but the way that it goes down. Watch this. Verse 2, Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Uh, okay. On one of the great wonders of the world? How could this happen? I, th- I thought you were the, the king. I thought you were taking the throne of David. I thought your kingdom was going to have no end. How does this happen? That doesn't make sense. It's not registering. Now, I will suggest to you that this did happen in 70 AD. That was a part of Titus's work when he comes in and conquers Jerusalem. The siege laid on Jerusalem and just utterly destroys it. People are unable to even live there for like 70 years. Let's keep looking. And he sat down on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So what has happened? A disciple has said something as they're walking out. Jesus responds, and then they go opposite the temple. There's like, that's all you're going to say about it? There's just no stones on top of one another? Well, it gets to a few of them, as you'll see. Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately. So the five of them are off to the side. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Pause there. So they can't get past it. Like Jesus has moved on seemingly. Like, yeah, it's going to be toppled. Don't worry about it. Um, Anyways, let's go over here, guys. Like, no, what are you saying, Jesus? This temple that we have worshipped at, this place that we have come for sacrifices, this place where we have come to know the living God, you're saying it's going to be destroyed? Yep. Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. It's interesting. He uses a phrase here, and it, it literally means like, with your eyes, see this. You're going to be able to see something. It would be as if, we were driving down the road, and you said, oh, I see that red car. Like, with your eyes, you see it. You didn't perceive it in your spirit. Oh, it feels like we're about to pass a red car. No, you saw it with your eyes. It is clear there is a red car there. So Jesus is saying, see that no one leads you astray. Use your eyes. You're about to get some signs. You're going to better understand these people that are going to try to lead you astray. Use your eyes. Don't miss this. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And he will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be family, uh, famines. There are, but These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So Jesus is laying out some stuff in this place, right? Like there's wars and rumors of wars and oh, you, you're kind of getting anxious a little bit. But it's how he leads that I think is especially important. How he leads. There'll be people who will come in my name 
saying, I am he. I'm the Christ. I have the answers to life. I can fix it. Be careful. Additionally, he talks about wars and rumors of wars, nations that rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. These things have been going on since the beginning, but there is an intensity that is occurring, certainly happened in 70 AD, and is certainly going to ultimately be fulfilled in the end of the ages. But Jesus wants to remind them, like, don't, don't look at the counterfeit. Keep your eye focused on me. See me in this place. Watch, keep track, be careful lest someone lead you astray. How will they lead you astray? Well, there'll be a time where things are really intense. Wars and rumors of wars. These are just the birth pangs. People are coming out in my name. These are distractions. Keep focused on me. Let's keep going. The next section, verses 9 through 13. Perseverance during tribulation. Watch this. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Let me just pause there, lest there is a a budding pastor in the room. This does not mean don't prepare for your messages, okay? That's, That's not what this is referring to. If you're a teacher of the Bible, that's not what this is referring to. Man, the Holy Spirit will give it to me. I got it. It's no big deal. Uh, Nope. This is not what it's referring to. But there will be times, and there were certainly times, I mean, this is starting to read like Acts, right? Like the the first few chapters of Acts, we're starting to see this laid out. People are going to be round up because of their belief in Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, They're going to be taken to places in front of officials. And then what do you say? I gotta suggest to you that to a group of fishermen, who by the standards around them are considered simple, whether that's cultural or actual, we're not exactly sure. But certainly, they get this idea like, ah, I'm going to stand in front of officials? And then what? Like, what do I do when I'm in front of these, uh, these people of power? And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling one, is going to give you words. He's with you. Keep your eyes focused on the things that matter. Not on these side things. Stay focused. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And uh, again, I wish that I could give you a testimony from church history that everybody who was rounded up for the sake of Christ was faithful to the end, that everybody who claimed to be a Christian was like, yep, I am willing to go to the Colosseum for it. I am willing to give my life for it. But that is not the case. We see within church history itself where family members were willing to give up family members so that they didn't suffer. It happened. Not not everybody, not always, but it happened from time to time. And Jesus is warning them, and that certainly is true by 70 AD, and it appears to be something that will occur at the end of the age. And Jesus reminds us, by the way, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, this, the, 
the indwelling spirit of God, the one who has set us apart and consecrated us for him, who is a down payment for eternity, for all who believe you have access to this Holy Spirit, he is with you. You're not alone. Don't miss it. Don't let your eyes be distracted. Keep going. Verse 14, starting a new section. By the way, um, we're going to use a phrase, abomination of desolation. It's used in Daniel. Additionally, it was attached to a guy called Antiochus Epiphanes between the Testaments uh, about 150, 170 years before Christ. Uh, You can read about it in the books of Maccabees. The the reason I bring it up is because it was so like it was so attached to him that for the hearers of Jesus in those days is like wait wait a minute this maybe this has already happened well, like what are you talking about Antiochus Epiphanes goes into uh, the temple and and uh, offers sacrifice of pigs big no no in the Jewish temple and also to Zeus not to the Lord. And so there's complete desecration, miracle of lights occurs. Um, It's where we get Hanukkah. There's uh, lots behind the story. At any rate, he desecrates it. It's an abomination. And Jesus is saying, "Uh, something like that's going to happen. Let's read it and see. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand this parenthetical thought there as if to say, <laughs> like, don't miss it. Rome is right here. Titus comes in, destroys the temple, like Rome is right there. What do we do? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let, let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. So, so what, do we, what do we see happening here? When this uh, abomination of desolation occurs, what should you do? Run out. Now, Jesus' words here would have been like... Uh, against common thought. When an area is attacked, what people would generally do is go to where they would be most protected within a fortified city. Jerusalem is that city. When Jerusalem is being attacked, Jesus is saying, or rather when uh, the, des- the abomination of desolation occurs, you should go out from here, not, not stay in here, not run to Jerusalem. You should go out. It's, it's different altogether. By the way, historically speaking, uh, there are, uh, not very many Christians, if any, who are there in 70 AD. What am I saying? They, they heard the words of Christ and they responded in a way that was countercultural. It wouldn't have been intuitive. No, we want to go to a, a fortified city to be protected. No, we're, we're actually going out into these areas. Uh, Jesus gives them a, a way. And so it reminds us, we, we want to be sure that we're seeking Jesus' guidance in these days. Navigating spiritual deceptions that occur. People who would offer sacrifice to other things, not to God. Let's keep going. In verse 20, or I'm sorry, in verse 19. 
For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I told you all things beforehand. So again, within this uh, group of five people, Jesus is telling a little bit about when the temple is going to fall. Within, within that, he identifies, look, there are false Christs that are coming, and they will perform signs and wonders. What? They are performing signs and wonders? Yeah, they are performing signs. Like there is a demonic movement here where they're performing signs and wonders uh, and, and their attempt is to lead people astray. Like that, that's what Satan has been doing since the very beginning, leading people astray. Are you sure? Eve, are you sure that's what God said? Nah, he just doesn't want you to know. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Come on. Go ahead, take it. Right, like he's been deceiving since the very beginning. That's what he does. Jesus identifies that this is going to continue. It's worked really well for Satan since the beginning, and he's going to continue. So keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's keep going. Verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I'm going to pause here and and. Uh, share something with you. Within this passage, I'd like you to think of it a little bit like a wave. Okay, so the wave rolls in and it's talking mostly, not entirely, mostly about the initial fulfillment. And then it recedes and another wave comes in and talks about the long-term fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment. This, this might be one of those times where we're seeing more the ultimate fulfillment. However, I want to suggest to you uh, that there are reasons that people haven't always accepted that. I'll get to that in just a moment. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Like, what a beautiful picture that is. He's gathering the saints. He's bringing them together. But it starts off pretty scary, right? Like, okay, in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. Doesn't sound great. The, the moon will not give its light. Ugh, there's another problem. Stars are falling from heaven. Powers of heaven are shaken. Like, these are scary things. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian who, historian who is writing to the Romans, talks about the fall of Rome. In in identifying the fall of Rome, he talks about eight things that occurred. Eight things that occurred to the people of Jerusalem where they should have seen it. I'm not going to go all over, or over all of it, but I'll highlight a few of them. So one, he said that there, were this, there was a comet and a star that was in the shape of a sword over Jerusalem. Josephus is saying this, and he calls it a sign that the people of Jerusalem should have known destruction was coming. 
Okay, so there's this. It's a little questionable with the language. Are they referring to a comet and a star? Are they both the same thing? It's hard to know. Uh, regardless, this is what Josephus says mm, should have been an identifier. Additionally, he says that there's a voice of heaven at one point. Let us depart hence. We're leaving this place. So the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem hear this. Like there is no more divine protection over them. Josephus is the one who identifies that. Not a Christian, a Jewish historian, not a Christian. No evidence that he ever came to Christ. So it's uh, interesting that he identifies these things. Additionally, he says that there, there are armies in the clouds, and he gives this allusion to Ezekiel, a wheel within a wheel that was seen from Jerusalem. He goes on to talk about uh, some, some things that are really hard to kind of grasp our minds around. Uh, one example would be that he says there is a gate that is so heavy, 20 men have to lift it and move it to open it up. In the middle of the night, it just opened as if some sort of angelic presence just opened this gate and is saying, uh, you're, you're not protected anymore. Additionally, and this is one that is really hard to like, did that really happen? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just reporting the news, friends. I'm just telling you what Josephus had to say. But he says that there's a heifer that is led to, the, to be sacrificed in the temple, and it gives birth to a lamb. That's pretty crazy. Like, <laughs> that's maybe a sign something weird is happening right now. Josephus identifies eight things. And the reason I bring that up is because many people will use those eight things to say, mm, I think it's all fulfilled in 70 AD. And I'm suggesting, no, this is that wave of end time stuff. Like, this, we are finding the final fulfillment really in this passage. And so, let's keep going. Uh, let's start in verse 26. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Like, I can't wait. I hope today he's coming. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. I want to skip down to verse 33 now. Verse 33 is kind of wrapping this all together. We don't have tons of time, so I'm going to skip over the fig tree section. But in verse 33, he says, be on guard. There it is again. That's that idea. With your eyes, look and see. Watch. I've told you things. Now you should be able to see it as it's happening. The <laughs> uh, yesterday, we were driving back. I don't, I'm going to give some excuses first before I tell you the story, okay? So, uh, I don't, as I get older, I don't really like driving at night. And um, also, it's really hard to see. And maybe, maybe I shouldn't drive at night. So, um, we're driving at night yesterday. And there is a, there is a turn that I'm supposed to take. It is, it is clear. Also, there is noise in my car. Uh, distracted. Also, I don't know, Siri is telling me something. I don't know what she's saying. I, I'm trying to process a conversation I'm having while trying not to listen to what's going on in the back. And uh, anyways, I miss my turn. 
Everything was given to me for me to make that turn. Like, it was on my phone. There is a really big green sign with light on it. Uh, Turn here, right? Like, all of those things. And I missed it. Why? Because I was distracted in the moment. And Jesus is saying, "Uh, be on guard. Don't, Don't be distracted. Keep looking. And then he says, keep awake. And it doesn't mean to go to sleep, like, right, like, you know, take a nap. But there's like this spiritual discernment with this phrase. Be awake. Be understanding what is going on around you. Watch the signs that are coming, that are uh, appearing. And as these signs are appearing, keep your eyes focused on me. Like, you're you're going to see these things happening. You're going to discern the pressure of the moment, but don't miss me. And then he, he goes on to say, for you do not know when the time will come. You do not know when the time will come. I don't know. But I will say this, that there are things that are occurring in our days that are very exciting Uh, Jesus talks about the gospel will be preached to all nations. And that certainly happened by 70 AD. The the message was being heard. Now, uniquely, we have Christians in every nation of the world. It's even better. By 33 AD, they're saying, by 33 AD, by 2033, they're saying, wait a minute, we're going to have the scripture in every language in the world. Like that has not ever happened in the history of the world. Like it couldn't happen and it can now. That, that's a sign. That's something to be aware of. And we don't, we don't want to keep our eyes off of Jesus. But those are some things that are uniquely occurring. Maybe today. Maybe tomorrow. But we want to keep our eyes on the Lord. This conversation began when disciples walked out with Jesus in Jerusalem. This building is wonderful. Guys, it's not that great. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be toppled. And in the midst of it being toppled, like the the worship isn't really, that's not where it happens anymore. The sacrifice, that's not where it happens anymore. Jesus is going to give his life that we could have life. He's going to be the ultimate sacrifice. He's going to pay the price that we could have life. And he needed to tell them that. And then he has this message for four of them. They have a few questions. And the emphasis is always be alert and stay awake. And I would just ask us today, like, how are we doing with that? Are we zeroing down on things like, I don't want to miss this, and missing the work of Christ in our lives, the way that he rescues? Again, apocrypha... We'll get there. I'm just, we should just sit down and talk, Matt. Um, Yeah, it's too much pressure. (laughs) Apocalyptic literature can take us to places that make us focus on areas and miss Christ. If we're not careful, almost any theological bend can do that. What I want to encourage us is to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, to be alert, to see him at work. What is he doing? To stay awake, to discern. We're starting to move into a unique phase of time. And we need to be watchful. We need to be alert. We need to be awake and focus on Christ. 
Friends, this is a great time for us to just kind of, I don't know, check our hearts. Have, have, we, been, have we been so interested in end-time stuff that we, we've missed the work of Christ in the midst of it? Have we had another theological bend like, oh, I'm Arminian, I'm Calvinistic. Like, do we have such a hard theological bend in some areas that we've missed Jesus? Again, I'm not suggesting that these topics aren't important. I'm not suggesting these aren't things we shouldn't wrestle with. They absolutely should. And our eyes need to be focused on Jesus. Our attention is on Christ. Again, March 9th. One of the reasons we've asked Mike Golay to share on March 9th is because we know he's going to do an amazing job and has done an amazing job of looking at these end time things in relationship to Jesus and pointing us to him as our savior. Let's not miss it. Communion is a time for us as a church family to pause before the Lord and to ask those hard questions. Are there things that have gotten in the way? Have I stayed so narrowly focused on aspects of even my faith that I've missed Jesus in it? If so, I need to confess that, repent, and turn to him. Additionally, uh, communion is a time for all believers to engage, to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed, that we could have life. Like, yes, there is a, a time, an ultimate fulfillment of this Mark 13 that he's going to do an amazing thing. But ultimately, like we are thankful that he rescued us from eternal separation from him in a place that Jesus refers to as great weeping and gnashing of teeth. Eternal separation. That the best imagery that he can give is this trash uh, the, this, tra this dump that is constantly on fire, it's the best earthly image that he can give to say like, Ugh, it is dirty, it is unclean, it is separate. And everyone is going there unless in faith they've put their trust in Jesus, the rescuer. And we don't want to miss that. Friendship Church, you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church, but we do ask that you are a follower of Christ. In being a follower of Christ, we remember the body and blood. Uh, we would ask that as you take time to examine your heart, that you would go to the carpeted areas when you're ready and go to the station nearest you and get both the bread and the cup and return to your seat. And Pastor Jason will lead us in our communion time together. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we need you. Lord, your message hasn't changed. And in this last week that we've been looking at, the last week of your earthly ministry before the resurrection, we see the intensity of your message. That you don't want us to miss you in it. That, Lord, we get so focused on this kingdom as if this kingdom has all the answers and we miss the kingdom of God. Don't let us do that. Let us have eyes to see that we would stay on guard. Let us have ears to hear and a heart to understand that we would stay awake and discern what you're doing. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name.